Welcome to the podcast of Real Life Ministries Arizona. Let's get ready for the message from this week's Sunday gathering. This morning we're going to kick off our Advent series, not in the book of Acts, which apparently I'm currently open to, but in the book of Matthew. And we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the Christmas story, the story of the first Advent of Jesus. And we're going to start out this week in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 in our series called A Presence for All. And this week again, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. And I, I just invite you to stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Beginning in verse 18, Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus the Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Have a seat. You know, that first verse, verse 18, Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. You know, I think for us, a lot of times, the Christmas story can feel like the beginning of the story. That it's easy for us to lose sight of the fact that this is just a new chapter in the unfolding story of God's plan of redemption, a story that's been unfolding for thousands of years before we come to Matthew chapter 1, a story that began in the Garden of Eden and then God calling a people for himself, the rise and fall of a nation called Israel and beyond. And, and all of that was followed by 400 years of silence. 400 years of God not speaking, of a people waiting, and then, boom, 
angels begin appearing. God begins speaking. Matthew, uh, make sure that we don't miss the fact that this is not the beginning of the story. Uh, and he does that in, in many ways, but, but with the way that he starts off his book in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the very first verse, Matthew writes this. He says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That, that word genealogy in Greek looks exactly like the word Genesis that Matthew is, is taking us back to the beginning. And he's, he's letting us know this is, this is the unfolding story uh, that began in the book of Genesis and, and continues in God's purpose of redemption. And then he goes on and he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham and David were the recipients of the covenants the recipients of the promises. And so Matthew is saying to us uh, that, that all of this took place in verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. From Adam and the fall to Abraham being promised a people and David being promised a throne and a nation and the prophets, that under God's hand, all of human history has been moving towards this very moment. Paul speaks of this in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born to redeem. You see, it wasn't that God was unwilling to move. It wasn't that it was too hard for God or that he was unable to redeem. It's just that the time had not yet come. And where we enter the story in Matthew chapter 1, the time has come. Matthew wants us to see that God is fulfilling all that he has spoken. He's fulfilling his promises. He's fulfilling his purposes. Uh, all that he has spoken through the prophets, revealed over the centuries, is coming to fruition at this time. We look back and we see uh, in Genesis chapter 3, the first picture of redemption in the garden it is with Adam over 4,000 years before this moment. At the minimum, 4,000 years before this moment. And when he spoke the promises to Abraham to go into a new land where he would make of him a great nation 2,000 years. David, a 1,000 years before. The prophet Isaiah, who's quoted in this passage 700 years before this moment. Uh, and when he comes to Joseph in 5 BC, uh, God is on the move again. You know, as I look at those time frames... 4,000 years, <laughs> 2,000 years, uh, God is prophesying and telling exactly what he is going to do. And, and when I think about those things, it, it's astounding to me because it, it paints this contrast between my inability 
on the one hand and God's great ability on the other. Just last week I was having a conversation, well my wife and I were having a conversation with one of our sons uh, who's just getting ready to wrap up his first semester in college. And we could tell that there was some stress and some tension and, and, and part of it surrounded the fact that he, he didn't have a major, that he didn't know what he was going to do. And so how would he make decisions about how to proceed in his classes and what he should take? And, and was there even any point in, in picking classes if you don't know what you're going to do? It was this sense of uncertainty about the future. Uh, and then I began to share my story with him. It was meant to be a comfort. I hope it was. <laughs> you know, I, I went to college with no idea what I wanted to do. I graduated from college with no idea what I wanted to do. I went to grad school with no idea what I wanted to do. I graduated from grad school with no idea what I wanted to do. And depending on your age, many of you are sitting here today um, and you know people. And what they find themselves doing now is completely different from what they envisioned when they were 17, 18, 19 years old. I figured it out just before Joshua was born at age 31. And I can just tell you that at age 18, I had no idea. Now, it doesn't mean that we never have any idea. It's just that we don't know the unfolding purposes and plans of God the way that he does. We may want to know. We may feel like we need to know. But the reality is, we don't know. I mean, in all honesty, how many of you sitting here today can say, yeah, things have gone just as I thought they would? All of my plans, all of my ideas, just continue to unfold exactly the way I envisioned. Chances are many of you are sitting here going, I have no idea how I ended up here. Or, or at least I could have never foreseen even five years ago where I, would, where I am today. Or ten years ago where I am today. And it is a tremendous contrast to a God who says something at one point in time and 4,000 years later it comes to pass. There are so many variables beyond our control. My inability to determine outcomes is so different and stands in such contrast to God. Now, I was reminded of this yesterday. Uh, you may or may not know I'm kind of a fan of college football. And a friend uh, on Facebook made a pretty bold prediction about four big football games that were happening yesterday. And I, I let him know just before service that he was going to be a sermon illustration. Um, <laughs> He didn't get back to me about whether he wanted to be anonymous or not, um, so he's out. Um, but, but look, and I just noticed this, right? In all caps, you heard it here first. I mean, that was my first thing when I read this. Wow, what confidence. Like, what confidence. Okay, so we go into the day uh, talking about NCAA football, and his first prediction is that Georgia is going to destroy Alabama by 30 points. Right, and eliminate them from the playoffs. Um, Michigan will handle Iowa, but it won't be easy. Uh, first of all, he was wrong on the first one. Right? Alabama destroyed Georgia. Right? He was wrong on the second one because Michigan did handle Iowa, and it looked really easy. Uh, the third one, Baylor, 
that game was already in progress, right? So he, he got that one right. Um, the Cowboys almost came back. Like, the game was decided literally by this much. By this much at the end of the game. Um, and then he predicted that Cincinnati uh, would not be able to beat Houston. And as I was thinking about this morning, oh, I just saw the Rosie O'Donnell comment. Um, maybe we should move to the next slide. <laughs> I gotta edit things apparently before I before I put them up there. Um, but but I was just I was thinking about that because I was thinking there's a there's a whole football season and and the lives of these athletes before they get on the field that day as background information as to what should happen, what should what is likely to happen in this game. Right? In these four games. He couldn't get four games right on one Saturday. Right? And and then the games that he did get right were not the way he said they would happen. And that's a good picture of my ability to determine outcomes, of my ability to predict the future. That even when I have a ton of information to go on, I still end up wrong so much of the time. And then there's God. And then there's God who stands at a moment in time and is able to say, this is exactly what I said would happen 4,000 years ago. This is exactly what I said would come to pass 2,000 years years ago. It's happening when I said it would. It's happening how I said it would. It's happening where I said it would. And that is Advent. <laughs> that is what we celebrate in Advent. It, it's Emmanuel, God with us. And Emmanuel, God with us, is God bringing to pass Everything he said he would, how he said he would do it, where he said it would happen. I, I take a look at the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament that speak to so many areas of Jesus' life and ministry, from, from his birth in his early years, through his mission and office and purpose, his passion and suffering, uh, his resurrection, his ascension, his second coming, which has yet to come, his universal, everlasting dominion. I mean, look at the things, the prophecies, hundreds, thousands of years beforehand, coming true in the season of Advent, in the season of of Christmas, 60 major prophecies, 270 ramifications. You know, I'll never forget as a, as a baby Christian, someone introduced me to a book um, called More Than a Carpenter. And, and it was perfect for me at that time because it was just a little trade paperback and it's only about that thick and the words were really big. So I actually managed to finish it. Uh, but but I'll I don't think I will ever forget the illustration that comes out of that book in terms of Jesus fulfilling 
these prophecies. And, and so there's a guy named Peter Stoner, uh, who obviously wasn't, because he's really smart. <laughs> um, but he, he, he studies probabilities in, ma- in mathematics, right? And, and he was looking at the, at the probability, not of Jesus fulfilling 60 of those prophecies, right? But the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies of Messiah that Jesus fulfills. And the odds of that happening in one person, which were verified by a scientific group um, that reviewed all the data, was one in one one in ten to the seventeenth power. Right? Uh, it's it's one. I believe that number is one hundred quadrillion. Right now, that number would be stunning if it wasn't for our national debt. Uh, we're we're kind of getting used to numbers that are beyond anyone's comprehension. Um, but, but I was thinking about it, and I think 100 quadrillion is 100, like if you think about how many a trillion is, it, it's like you would take 100 trillions and set them out, right? That's what 100 quadrillion looks like. And our minds still can't really conceive of that too well. Uh, so he gives us another illustration to help us understand these odds. Um, how many of you have ever been to Texas? How many of you have ever driven across the state of Texas? Yeah, it's pretty, man, that's a long ride. Right? Unless you're a trucker, like that's, that's some serious uh, commitment and adventure to get across the state of Texas. So to put this in perspective, one to, in 10 to the 17th power, right? if, you, if you took one in 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and laid them across the state of Texas, I don't know how many hours it takes to drive across the state of Texas, 15? I mean, it's a lot, right? Silver dollars spread across the state of Texas. One hundred quadrillion would cover the state of Texas in silver dollars two feet deep. Two feet deep. The entire state of Texas, two feet deep. Now, the illustration of one in 100 quadrillion is that you take one of those silver dollars and you mark it and then you hide it somewhere in the state, and you blindfold a man, and you allow him to travel as far as he wants in the state of Texas, but he only gets to pick one silver dollar. He only gets one shot, and he has to pick that one silver dollar. Those are the odds of one man fulfilling eight of the 60 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. God intervening in the earthly realm. How meticulously he has laid out his plan. How faithful he is to fulfill it. It should give us hope. It should give us confidence that we mere mortals who can't predict what, could, what would happen next year or even next month, that we worship a God who is capable of what we see and celebrate in the season of Advent. It should give us hope and confidence, not not just in the big things, but in the seemingly small ones too. I I thought about this, I thought about, the Lord knew where to find Joseph that day. And the Lord knew what Joseph was up to that day. 
Do you remember what the passage said? Now, as he considered these things, as, as he considered how he was going to put away Mary without shaming her too much, it was in those moments that the angel arrived. He, he knew where to find Joseph. He knew what was going on in his heart and in his world. And he knows where to find us. He knows where to find us. Well, as we go back to Matthew 1, and we think about those 60 prophecies, it's one that Matthew focuses on here. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, Matthew writes this. He says, All of this... I just think about, every, not just in this passage. I mean, that's what Matthew's saying here, right? All of this with the angel and Joseph. But think about everything else that happened. <laughs> I think that's included in the all this too, right? The angel appearing to Zechariah, a barren woman giving birth. An angel appearing to, Mo, to Mary, and, and a virgin giving birth. An angel appearing to, to Joseph now, and, and everything that continues to unfold. But Matthew says, all of this took place to fulfill, to complete, to bring to pass what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and they would call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The promise is Emmanuel. The promise is God with us. God wants to be with us. I know that sounds simple. (laughs) And it may be something that we take for granted. But Emmanuel, God with us, is another confirmation against all of my doubts, against all of the reasons why I don't think he should want to, against all of the reasons why I would try to convince him not to want to be with me, that God wants to be with us. God wants to be with his people. It's the way it started in Eden, (laughs) It's the way it came to be when Jesus was walking this earth at his first coming. It's the way it will be fully at his second coming. God wants to be with us. As much as we sing to dwell, dwell, dwell here forever, he he wants it more than we do. When you think of the lengths that he has gone in order to be with us. I mean, he didn't have to create us. He wanted to. He didn't have to redeem us. He wants to. And he doesn't have to abide with us. But oh, how he longs to. And that's why he promises, abide in me, and I will abide in you. 
to enter the womb, to become like us, to experience life with all of its trials and temptations, like us. He wants to be with us. And God with us is the hope of Christmas. It's the hope of Christmas. God with us. And I was reminded this week as I, as I look back through some of these prophecies, through some of the promises, I'm, I'm reminded that with us does not just mean us. It, it doesn't mean just us. The, the, the presence of Emmanuel, the presence of God with us is, is intended to be a presence for all. It's intended to be a presence for all, and God made that clear from the very beginning with Abraham. As I look back through Genesis and, and Abraham's life, I saw that not, not one time but three, God makes it clear that, that the blessing of Abraham, the fulfillment of the promises, is, is for all the families of the earth. That he's going to make him a great nation and bless him and make his name great so that he will be a blessing. He's going to bless those who bless Abraham and those who dishonor him he will curse. But in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And again in Genesis 18, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Again in Genesis 22, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The promise of a presence for all is not just for us, but it's for everyone. And maybe you can remember a time when you were far from God, that you didn't know his presence or his favor or what it meant to belong to his family. How did you come to know? How did you come to draw near to him? What or whom did God use to reveal himself, to reveal his presence, to make the offer of Emmanuel known to you? You know, this, this series, again, uh, is a reminder that it, it's a presence for all, that, that it's intended for all. Uh, I, I thought about as I was praying this morning for some friends who are planning a church in Indiana and others who are planning a church in Texas, that, that as the sun was just rising here, it's already been up for a while there. And as I'm praying for them, some of them are in the midst of a service probably in Indiana and others are, are getting ready to begin in Texas. And, and I just saw as, as, the, as the sun came up and the light began to dawn across the world in different time zones and different globes, God's people <laughs> waking up, rising up on a Sunday morning to worship. But we must remember that it's intended to be a presence for all. And that as he spoke at one time through his prophets, and then as Hebrews says, but in these last days he's spoken by his son. And now he wants to use you, and he wants to use me to reveal his presence, to make the offer of Emmanuel, God with us, known to all. 
You know, Christmas can bring a real sense of hopelessness for some people. We see that over and over as the holidays roll around. That, that what should be a season of hope can be a season of hopelessness. But how can our presence in the lives of others be a reminder of hope? How can our presence be a reminder of, of God's faithfulness? How, how can the evidence of your changed life be an encouragement to someone that God is still on the move, that, that he still knows us by name? How can we reveal the God with us presence of the Lord this season and bring hope to those who are in need? I guess the question is, are, are we willing to be those vessels this Advent season? That every time we think about Emmanuel, God with us, that, that it not only stirs feelings of gratitude that he is with us, but it also gives us a burden for those who don't know God with them. And not a heavy burden, not a, not a burden of guilt, but a desire, a deep desire to make him known, to embody his presence in this world, to symbolize the hope that he offers. Jesus left heaven. And there may be something I need to leave to if I'm going to be willing to be that presence in the life of someone else. Are we willing to be those vessels? You know, I think that was the question before Joseph that day. As the angel spoke to him, the question was, are, are you willing to be that vessel? Will you play this role in my unfolding story of redemption in the world? What he said to Joseph was important. But what he says to us is equally as important. The call that he gives us is equally as important as the role that Joseph played. And as he told Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth, to all nations, he calls us to make disciples of all of those same people, of all of those same families if we will just be those vessels of presence for all. In just a moment, we'll rejoin the message for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please check our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at reallifearizona.com. Now, some closing thoughts from this week's message. You know, that song just reminded me uh, when I was looking through the promises and the prophecies. Uh, I saw one in Isaiah that talked about a, a branch that would spring up from the, from the root of Jesse. Uh, and, and, and in Jeremiah, a branch that would come out of David. 
And I just thought, the vine? That when the vine looked the most hopeless, that when the vine looked completely dead, God still purposed a branch, a righteous branch, a faithful branch, he's called in Jeremiah, that he would come, that he would fulfill. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. You know, a friend shared with me an an Advent creed, and I just thought we could pray uh, this together to end our service today. So Shires, if you're on Zoom, thank you for the creed. We're we're praying your family creed here together uh, today. And it's got three slides, just so you don't think we're finished after the first one. Uh, but, But would you pray this with me? We believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, the one who is full of patience, who is not afraid of silence, who does not need to fill each moment with activity and noise, the one who is beyond bluster and flurry, and who does not jostle for attention. We believe in God the Son, Savior of creation, who slipped into Bethlehem one night, mostly unnoticed, who lived 30 years without headlines or hurry, who frequently took time alone with his patient father, who waited for the right time to become a suffering servant, who stood quietly before the noise of his accusers, whose silence overpowered their words, who died then rose again on a quiet Sunday morning. We believe in God the Holy Spirit, who strengthens, empowers, renews, and refreshes, sometimes arriving with obvious power, sometimes with the quiet breath of a whisper. We believe in one God who patiently waits for us and who longs for us to do the same. Amen.